five years of space exploration. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. This podcast and radio show is celebrating its five-year anniversary. We've covered so many interesting stories of space exploration over the past half decade, from interplanetary probes to human launches, stories about the people heading to space, and the big ideas to take humans farther into the cosmos than ever before. To celebrate this milestone event, we invited frequent guests for a virtual conversation last week, Charlie Bolden, a former NASA administrator under President Obama and retired astronaut, and Nicole Stott, a retired astronaut who spent more than 100 days in space. We looked back on the past five years of space exploration and previewed what's to come with a focus on creating a diverse and equitable future for space exploration. I'm going to share part of that conversation this week. You can watch the entire webinar on our YouTube channel. Just search 90.7 WMFE. Celebrating five years of exploring exploration. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? here on WMFE, America's Space Station. In preparation of this uh, conversation, I I dug into our archives uh, in 2016. That's when the show launched uh, to see what was going on in space. Uh, and just, just to bring us all back in time, since I know time is kind of a weird thing these days, uh, here's a few of the major stories that we were working on in 2016. NASA's Juno uh, mission arrived at Jupiter. Scott Kelly returned from his year in space. ESA's ExoMars orbiter arrived at Mars. OSIRIS-REx launched from Cape Canaveral on a mission to snag some asteroid dust. Uh, and SpaceX found its groove landing its rocket boosters. Uh, So I want to ask you both, uh, what has stood out to you over the past five years uh, as a defining moment in space? And I'll start with you, Nicole. Wow, that's, you know, that's a really difficult question, I think, to answer, because there has been this really wonderful mix of uh, of human spaceflight activities, the, the continuous presence, um, certainly in this past year, our 20th anniversary of, you know, continuous human presence on the International Space Station as an international community. I think that's ginormous. And, mm-hmm. um, and getting people, our crew members and international partner crew back to um, space from U.S. soil here. I know I'm not answering with just one one. And then I I don't know, you know, with these like planetary missions and stuff, I I am always in awe of how we can go out, explore um, through these missions and kind of have them be our eyes back to who and where we are in space. Mm-hmm. I think that that relationship we have to these places that we're learning more about and always wanting to know more about ourselves through it. But um I guess I don't have a single thing. <laughs> I, can't answer I didn't so expect much. you to have a I mean, single there really, thing. There's, I know, you know me as the <laughs> rambler and there's so much going on. I think that's what's so exciting about it is that if you just look in these past five years, how much really exciting work is still going on. Mm-hmm. Charlie, what, what sticks out to you over the past <laughs> five years of space exploration? A lot of stuff, as, as Nicole said, it goes without saying that, um, you know, the launch of, um, of Doug Hurley and Bob Binken on the, the Crew Dragon was phenomenal because that marked the return of human spaceflight uh, from 
the Space Coast, the place that it, you know, we've we've all grown accustomed to it, and we know it it should go from. But I, if I were to pick a single thing, it would it would be something that happened very recently, and it was the Mars convoy, uh, Tianwen One, which was the Chinese Mars orbiter lander rover the lander and rover haven't haven't performed yet but but the orbiter is there successfully uh followed by the emirates mars mission the hope probe which is performing mm. exceptionally well and then perseverance so uh, i would say um that bodes well for the future because i think the, all three agencies have agreed to collaborate on data exchanges and the like and as long as we can do that there's hope for humanity if we can if we can continue to work together that way. Um, the, just the fact that the UAE, a country that didn't even have a space program uh, before 2014, becomes only the second nation in the world to reach Mars on its first attempt, uh, uh-huh. speaks loads to, um, to, the, human, to the, the, the brilliance of the human species. And, and the fact that um, you know, diverse ideas, diversity, if you will, uh, is critical to our advancement in the universe. Mm-hmm. And, and that Hope Orbiter is already sharing scientific data with the community. Um, already we're seeing some really, really cool things uh, coming back from Hope. Uh, we, we did have a poll before the, the show started here, and, and uh, a majority of our listeners and, and our viewers here today saw the, the return to human space flight uh, as, as one of the defining moments of the half decade uh, since the show's been on the air. Uh, but also there were some exoplanets uh, in there too, which I think is really cool in those planetary missions. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I do want to go back to, to commercial crew, Charlie, because I, I do think that that was one of the defining moments here for us. Um, and, and you and I spoke about this uh, before the launch of, of Bob and Doug for uh, our special show we did, um, uh, Return to Flight. Uh, and, and, you know, you were kind of leading the charge to get NASA to leverage these commercial partnerships uh, and utilize what we've learned from commercial cargo to commercial crew. Take us back, Charlie. What was it like, um, pardon the pun, getting commercial crew off the ground? Uh, it was grueling. And, and, and I want to correct the record. I, I, you know, when I became the NASA administrator in 2009, I was the healthy skeptic. I was not a, I was not a commercial ideologue as many others were. Um, mm-hmm. I was considered by some in the Obama administration as being the rogue administrator because I, I didn't just fall right into line and say, okay, we're going to shut down the shuttle and we're going to give all the money to the commercial entities and, and we'll be flying next year because I knew that as all of us do, that spaceflight is very difficult. We've seen that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we trusted that SpaceX had something that we thought would work. Uh, if you remember, when, when NASA gave them the first $500 million contract, they hadn't, I think they, I'm not sure they had had a successful launch yet, to be quite honest. Falcon 9 hadn't flown for sure. Uh, and they were not having success with the Falcon 1. So, it, it was um, it was faith in in Gwen Shotwell and Elon that they and their workforce could deliver, um, but none of us fooled ourselves that they were going to be able to deliver in two or three years. So it was grueling getting first of all getting Congress to to uh, finally approve full funding for commercial crew took us four years longer than than we had anticipated. We hoped to get it in 2011 so that we could be flying and. 2013 or 2014. We didn't get full funding until 2015. And so mm-hmm. that, that should help people understand why it took so long. Uh, you know, SpaceX did their best, but, but they couldn't work without money. And so they weren't able to start in earnest until 2015. And mm-hmm. so 
I thought, you know, flying, launching humans this year was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do want you all to join the conversation too. So please use the Q and a function um, in uh, your zoom window there. Uh, and we'll get your questions to Nicole and Charlie as they come in. Um, Charlie, I want to go back to commercial crew because I mean, it, it was more than just a, a cost saving program, right? I mean, yeah, commercial crew will be a, little, a lot cheaper than paying Russians for rides to the station, but it was much more than that, right? I mean, tell me the importance of this, you know, from an image standpoint, uh, when it comes to launching human astronauts from the U.S. Uh, you know, I, I'm, the image part doesn't really bother me. The, the part that I thought was critical for getting commercial crew up and running was that it meant that NASA was now free to spend uh, the $2 billion a year that we were having to spend on shuttle, whether we flew one flight or, or 10. Uh, it was just the infrastructure cost for, for maintaining shuttle and, and paying a modicum of that amount to get commercial vehicles that were perfectly capable of transporting humans into space and allowing NASA to invest that other money for deep space exploration with humans, which is where we're, we're headed right now. I think that's the critical uh, accomplishment of commercial crew. The, you know, the, 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 the pride that comes with launching people from here is, it goes without saying, but, but still the practical freeing NASA up to be able to invest in deep space exploration with humans uh, something that we weren't capable to do as long as we were flying shuttle. Mm-hmm. Nicole, I saw you out there for the last uh, crew launch, crew one, um, as a former astronaut, uh, <laughs> as, as a former astronaut and one of the, the last to fly on, on one of the shuttle missions. I've got to ask you, what was it like seeing that pad light up once again, knowing that some of your colleagues were, were uh, atop that rocket? Well, I mean, really, really exciting. Uh, And, you know, I think like just as we did with Bob and Doug launching, just to, you know, to live vicariously, I think a little bit through, you know, from the astronaut side of what they were about to go off and do and Mm -hmm. know that it was going to be this, I don't know, just this opportunity to open up that pathway again um, Mm -hmm. for getting not only our U.S. crew members, but as we've already seen on Crew One, you know, having JAXA and for next time, JAXA and ESA astronauts Mm -hmm. traveling with us with the goal of having um, all of our partners participate in some way on on in U.S. launches again. You know, we're continuing in parallel with um, flying crew members on the, the Soyuz, too. I just look at this like you know, this, this partnership that's in place is, um, is really incredible, but to watch that happen and to, to see them going out, to just see the, the differences in the launch pad. I've had that question a lot, like, Oh, aren't you sad that it doesn't look like it did when, Mm -hmm. you know, when it was there with shuttle, well, shuttle, it didn't look like it did when we, you know, launched Apollo, you know, in order for us to, to continue to be able to, you know, extend our capabilities, we have to modify things sometimes. And so it was really, really cool to see that stuff coming to life. And, you know, as Charlie mentioned, going into all this, I, I just am, I'm in awe of how this whole um, public private partnership is working Mm -hmm. as well, you know, really, 
um, facilitating, I got big lightning here, facilitating <laughs> the, um, you know, the, the ability, the capability of these companies to be able to do these things mm-hmm. by, you know, the funding and the, you know, the engineering and expertise support through NASA as well. That's, I think, allowed them to ramp up a lot more quickly um, than they would without that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so that's exciting to me too, to see, Mm -hmm. you know, when we look forward to the day where, you know, we're, we're watching these flights, like we would, uh, you know, going to the gate at the, you know, at the airport to take, Mm -hmm. you know, to travel and just knowing that it's just part of what we do. um, I Mm -hmm. think that's, you know, where we're off to now. Now, Nicole, I know that a lot of the the folks that are launching now were, you know, in your astronaut class. We talked about Doug, uh, Doug and Bob. I tried to combine yeah. their names there. Uh, <laughs> and, and Charlie, these these are a lot of your employees at one point. I mean, do you guys get envious watching them uh, get to climb into those crew dragon capsules and launch again? Yeah, let's let's be honest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. My gosh, you know, when Doug and Bob are going, it's hysterical. It's like, I, I just, all I can think about is that picture of us, you know, Charlie, the, the kind of the classic, you go and do your class picture when you're first selected, you don't really know each other all that well, you know, and I look at kind of the goofy one that we did now where we're all just kind of goofing around and, you know, you see the personality of all these people in that picture. And then you just, you've got that kind of personal connection to them too. And yes, you want them to pack them in, you know, you in their bag to take you with them. And yeah, Bob and Doug were in my class. Their wives, Karen and Megan, um, were in my class as well. And Megan's getting ready to go on the next, Mm -hmm. you know, crew dragon. I mean, how cool is that? You're listening to Are We There Yet here on WMFE. I'm Brendan Byrne. Our conversation with Charlie Bolden and Nicole Stott continues after the break. You can watch the full presentation on our YouTube channel. Just search for 90.7 WMFE. Are We There Yet is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet on WMFE, America's Space Station. I'm Brendan Byrne. We're celebrating Are We There Yet's fifth anniversary. Last week, we hosted a conversation with Charlie Bolden, a former NASA administrator under President Obama and retired astronaut, along with Nicole Stott, a retired astronaut who spent more than 100 days in space. We looked back on the past five years of space exploration and previewed what's to come with a focus on creating a diverse and equitable future for space exploration. Here's part of that conversation. Uh, we've got SpaceX launching humans, as we're talking about. Boeing is is very close behind to launching as well. There's also NASA's call for a human lander for the Artemis program, which is its next moonshot, uh, that has three groups of private companies competing. Uh, Charlie, did you ever expect the commercial partnerships uh, to expand like this, uh, that, that commercial partners will be landing humans on the moon, hopefully in the 2020s? I'll be honest, I did not expect it to happen this quickly. Now that for some people, you may say, what do you mean quickly? Um, you know, I I thought we would spend quite some time getting to the point where, where we were all comfortable uh, with just launching humans to and from the International Space Station. Although, to be quite honest, I am still hopeful that we'll see the same vim and vigor 
to produce platforms, destinations in low Earth orbit uh, run by commercial entities. Otherwise, we're going to be in trouble because mm-hmm. we need for the launch providers to be successful. They need places to go. And so we need more companies like Axiom and Nanorax and Bigelow and some of the others who are building these habitats or, or low Earth orbiting platforms uh, for things to happen on. We need for that to happen with the same enthusiasm that we're doing uh, lunar landers and, and the like, mm-hmm. you, you know, the moon is just a destination. And, mm-hmm. uh, but we need more destinations in low earth orbit to help facilitate the success of Amer- at least America's launch providers. Mm-hmm. Uh, right before we got on this program, uh, NASA fired the four main engines of the space launch system rocket uh, out at Stennis. Uh, were, were you guys watching that? I didn't get to see it in person, but I looked at the rerun, yeah. and, and I, I know you had a question that said, what did, what did Nicole and I see that the common person didn't see? I don't <laughs> I can't speak for Nicole, but I'll say for me, nothing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it was fire and smoke, which is, and, yeah. and, and noise, and that's what a green run's supposed to be. You know, and, and you wouldn't see anything uh, from a successful green run, and, and you can't really say that it was successful just, just by looking the engineers are combing through the data right now, and sometime tomorrow, maybe, uh, Boeing and NASA and Rocketdyne and all the other vendors uh, hopefully will be very, very happy with all the data that they see. But it's, um, you know, it, this stuff is hard. Mm-hmm. And, but and I those think are the rock- they can see it from space. Are there oh, pictures? Oh, really? I think I, I heard oh, something. Yeah. I haven't looked I'm to sure. see yet. But they, um, yeah, the report was that they could see it from, from space, from stations. Mm-hmm. So let's see. I mean, those were, those were the engines that, that you all rode into space, right? Those RS-25s, like, tell me what it's like to have three of those behind you. I can't imagine having four of them <laughs> underneath you. What's it like? You want to talk about it? You got a more recent experience. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, I thought, I, actually, I thought those engines, that I thought it was just going to be a lot more dynamic when those engines lit. But it was kind of this smooth rumble from from them, you know, it was the interesting thing apart. And, you know, when the shuttle it was like that 10, 9, 8, 7, 6 seconds was when the, the main engines lit on the orbiter. And, you know, they were at an angle. So the whole vehicle kind of, you know, tips a little bit and you're at the very top. So you kind of, you know, feel that motion, that twang. What was that, Charlie? The NASA technical term for that whole <laughs> motion of the stack was the twang. And and what was so cool to me was because you know, you know from an engineering standpoint that this is supposed to happen. But then when it does, it's it's just it's like it's a miracle that, you know, this whole thing rocks and then it comes back and like like perfectly timed when it's vertical is when those solid rocket boosters light. And that's when you're like, holy moly, was I ever on a launch pad? Just know I'm going someplace really fast. And that's, you know, it really starts shaking around. But those engines, they were they were pretty smooth, kind of just low rumble sound, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll be very exciting to see when SLS does launch uh, on Artemis 1. Uh, Charlie, as you know, presidential administrations steer NASA's direction. The Trump administration put NASA on this path to return to the moon. And it seems like the Biden administration will continue that path. Um, Where do you see NASA going um, in the next four years under a Biden administration? Let me, and and I'm I'm, I'm sensitive to this. I want to correct the record. The Trump administration did something that surprised me. They kept us on the path to going back to the moon. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, from the Bush administration, both Bushes, I think, actually started us on this trajectory to the moon and Mars. And, and we've kind of bobbed and weaved, but, um, but we're on a trajectory that we've been on for several administrations. It's just that when you went from Obama to Trump and now to Biden, uh, it's probably the straightest course I've, I've seen personally uh, in my, my memory of the space program, because we've not made any dramatic changes in any of the programs. The change that the Trump administration made was to timing. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, for trying to get it in, in the, in the course of the first term of the administration, they challenged NASA to do it by 2024. I'm not sure that there was, there was anyone who believed that 2024 was a realistic launch date for, you know, for Artemis. We'll get there, but we had always planned that it would be sometime in the latter half of the 2020s with, with targeting Mars for the latter half of the 2030s. So I'm, I'm, I'm a happy camper. Mm-hmm. There are reports out today from from The Verge and The Washington Post that Biden will name a former Senator Bill Nelson uh, as uh, the next NASA administrator. Charlie, I'm wondering what you would think of that pick um, to, to lead the, the agency. Well, he's my crewmate. So, uh, <laughs> you know, I and, and I think Senator Nelson would not be he would not be angry if I said this. My choice, my preference, my hope was that we would have a woman. Uh, and, um, you know, there was, I would have loved to have a black woman, but there was no black woman in, in the, in the queue. Um, but I'm happy with, with Senator Nelson, provided he has a female deputy, um, because the deputy, much the same as happens sometimes when, when the administrator comes from outside the technical community, the deputy becomes the technical power. Um, Uh if you look at Hans Mark, uh, if you look at some of the other deputies, you know, people forget, people think that Jim, James Webb, who is one of the foremost administrators, he sent us to the moon. James Webb was an attorney and, uh, and a Marine fighter pilot, by the way. Uh, but still, he was an attorney, but he, had, he, he was very well steeped in the politics of Washington, had been in the State Department, in the Defense Department. So the, the advantage that I think Bill Nelson will bring, hopefully, is is knowing people in the Congress, having a great amount of respect for the process, and uh, much the same as Jim Bridenstine did, finding ways to, to coax, cajole, and get Congress to continue to support the program and, 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 and live with the mantra of NASA, which is constancy of purpose, so uh-huh. keep moving down the, down the tracks to putting humans back on the moon in this, in this decade, and then without leaving there, continuing to move some more humans onto Mars. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to hear his, his uh, famous no bucks, no bucks Rogers quote a lot more, right? <laughs> uh, Nicole, you know, Charlie mentioned this about, uh, you know, having some sort of consistency over administrations. Um, how much of this uh, affects the astronaut corps? Do you, do you pay attention to the politics of NASA and what's happening in D.C.? Uh, when you're on the ground preparing for missions, uh, what's it like being involved in this, you know, political agency uh, as as an astronaut? Well, I think I think there's some level of of attention paid to it for sure. I mean, certainly the focus is on, you know, the the mission that you might be assigned to at the time, the mission that you might be supporting, because you know, I I always like to say, you know, 99.9 percent of an astronaut's job is not flying in space. It's, 
it's here on earth having these roles that overlap, you know, training yourself, um, supporting your, your classmates, your crewmates that are on, on station or preparing to go, developing procedures, you know, all, all of that kind of stuff, as well as supporting the, the projects that are in development for, you know, for future vehicles, future missions. And that's where I think if, you know, if within the astronaut office, if you're going to get involved with anything that has to do with the politics or the longer term kinds of um, shifts that might be going on, it's, it's part of those program development activities. But mm-hmm. quite honestly, I think, you know, it's there's a little bit of a, you know, internal focus to, OK, the missions we're flying now, making sure that they're as safe and successful as possible and, you know, kind of looking through our ground jobs at what's happening, um, you know, from a longer term standpoint. Mm-hmm. I want to switch topics here and talk a little bit about inclusivity and diversity. Charlie, you mentioned a bit about this before. Um, in the past five years, we've we've seen some firsts. Um, in space, we've seen the first all-female spacewalk and the first black astronaut to spend a six-month stay on the International Space Station. Um, Nicole, we've talked about this before, but how would you rate NASA's efforts to be more uh, gender inclusive uh, when it comes to its uh, female astronauts? Yeah, I am. You know, I I I give NASA a wholehearted thumbs up with with this stuff because when and it's it's not that there's not room for improvement. I will say that that's always you know no matter where you look that it always is, but I have been really um, just so pleasantly, I guess you know uh, happily. Um, aware of the kinds of diversity movements that have have happened within NASA over the years. I mean, we just celebrated, you know, the the 50th anniversary of a lot of Apollo missions. Um, You know, there's certainly been films that are making us more aware of the kind of diversity that existed that we didn't even know existed, which I think is really wonderful. Um, But when you look, you just like visibly look at, say, mission control and the launch control center. You know, for Apollo, you had to you had to go and search for a woman. I mean, Launch Control Center, there was one woman, Joanne Morgan, sitting, you know, smack dab in the middle of the control center. And I think in Houston at Mission Control, there was one woman, not in the front room, but in the back room, you know, Poppy Northcutt um, in the back room. But now you look at Mission Control or the Launch Control Center, and it's just this mix of humanity. You're not... You're not having to say, where's Joanne? And both of those facilities, both of those operations are run by really extraordinary women. And mm-hmm. across NASA as a whole, and I can only speak for human spaceflight, but I've just seen this, just this blend of humanity that's just so cool to me to, to see happening when, in fact, at universities, we still struggle. In the universities, that in engineering colleges, we, we struggle to get 20, 25 percent, you know, female enrollment. And yet in the NASA astronaut office right now, roughly 40 percent of that current NASA astronaut are women. I mean, mm-hmm. that's huge. That's mm-hmm. huge. That was Charlie Bolden, a former NASA administrator under President Obama and retired astronaut, along with Nicole Stott, a retired astronaut who spent more than 100 days in space. There's more to that conversation. You can watch the full presentation on our YouTube channel. Just search for 90.7 WMFE. That's going to do it for this week's show. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to this show's podcast feed and never miss an episode. Subscribe on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Are We There Yet? is a production of WMFE, America's Space Station. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our intern is Kirk Churchill, and our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet? comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.